Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Break Your Golden Handcuffs podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have with me not one, not two, three guests today. Uh, and, it, you know, it's going to be kind of an interesting conversation for us because we talk about breaking your golden handcuffs. But today, I've got three guys from CTC Capital Management based out of Chicago. I've got Joe Harriman, the CFA and Chief Ops Officer, Mark Pertel, Head of Real Estate Acquisitions, and Breston Hartzell, the analyst. And so, gentlemen, give us a quick 30-second who you are and why we want to hear your expertise. Sure, yeah. I'll start uh, real quick with just uh, – so my name is Joe Harriman. I'm the COO of CTC Capital Management. Uh, the parent company of CTC Capital Management is Chicago Trading Company, which is a uh, global uh, trading firm based in Chicago, formed in 1995, um, you know, now it started off as options market making, actually, and now they trade pretty much every asset class globally, uh, primarily in, in making markets. Uh, CTC Capital Management, which is the SEC Registered Investment Advisor, was formed to provide uh, an alternative investment platform uh, and exposure to different alternative asset classes. And this focus is on that is multifamily affordable real estate. Um, so. You know, we have nine funds. Uh, four of those are focused on uh, multifamily. Um, those four funds have about $100 million in commitments. The, the total investment advisor has about $200 million in commitments. Um, we've just launched our fourth fund uh, late last year with $40 million in commitments. And uh, we, we really focus on partnering with uh, GPs and operators in the space uh, to um, get access to multifamily value-add deals. That sounds sexy to me as a multifamily value-add syndicator. You know, it's right up my ballpark, right? That's right. Yes. Mark? Yeah, um, real quick, uh, we have to get this out of the way, is all views expressed by myself. Joe and Preston are ours personally and not those of CTC. And at this time, we are not taking on new investors into in any of our offerings. Thanks for getting the legal out of the way. So tell me, gents, have any of you ever had golden handcuffs? We we kind of look at ourselves as, as someone who helps people realize where they want to go with their business. Um, by, by operating as a co-GP, we're providing equity and balance sheet help to operators who are looking to grow and expand their business and, and essentially release them from you know, the, the limitations of not having enough capital or net worth to sign on a note. So that, that you know, a little spin on your question there, but, but basically saying that we look to help people and add value uh, across all aspects of the, the real estate process by uh, helping operators grow, by improving tenant living conditions, and then at the same time, too, uh, producing returns for our own investment vehicles. Love that, because I was actually going there next, but you jumped one question ahead of me. So, you know, I often think about golden handcuffs are this ability to not make a take a risk because of the risk of losing what you feel like you've already earned. And you guys are allowing people that have golden handcuffs to do a co-GP model, which is very unique for institutional uh, registered investment advisors. So I'd love to learn, why did you guys come to this? thesis as RIAs. It's kind of atypical of most RIAs. And uh, I'm really curious, why this thesis? 
a lot of our deals are in that middle market space where there's there's a an inefficiency. You're kind of above the the small single retail type owner, but you're also below institutional grade. Um, what we found is there's a lot of inefficiencies in the space, and as a result, um, we we realized by having a balance sheet and an equity to deploy into an inefficient space, we can we can definitely find a lot more opportunities. And and then by combining with the co GP aspect, um, we layer on. Uh, a new offering to operators that makes us more attractive and our capital more attractive, which grabs more opportunities than just being straight LP equity in a deal. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And and I'll just add to that as well, that from an investor's perspective into our funds, um, you know, we, with the way we structure our deals, um, we do that for the benefit of our investors because we started off as kind of a small, close partnership uh uh, capital base. And so we negotiate, you know, fee income that's a little bit different than maybe other funds that our investors benefit from. All right. So let's say that I'm a burgeoning syndicator and I hear this and I'm curious. Walk me through a little bit about how you guys work with operators, what kind of markets you look for, why should an operator pay attention to CTC capital? So with with CTC Capital, what we're offering is a check size that that fits in that GP slice. So we'll provide up to 95% of the GP equity in a deal, allowing an operator then to bring their deal, collect fee income or some part of fee income, and then get majority of the promote out of the deal. So they're allowed their IRR goes through the roof compared to if they're funding that deal on a typical 90-10 structure or an 80-20 structure, um, they're able to capture a larger deal and, in a a sense, try more order flow from brokers because now they're doing larger deals. Um, So from as far as the actual markets, I'll let Preston speak to kind of our underwriting process and and what we look for in multifamily deals. Yeah, so for markets, what we've really found as of late During the pandemic, obviously, interest rates went to the ground and there was a lot of migration and developers took note. So a lot of the markets where there's a ton of construction, maybe big Texas, MSAs, Atlanta, a lot of the coastal Florida markets, they were flooded with supply. One thing we found, at least recently, is supply overweight demand. So a lot of these developments from COVID were or or still are, you know, 10, 20 percent vacant. And that's really moving the market, as well as having big concessions. And as us investing in B, C-grade properties, where we want to be the, the affordable property in the market, those rent concessions are really narrowing that delta between all rents which are affordable and the class A. So what we found is a lot of these tenants who would normally rent with us are going to these class A properties, getting a one-year concession, and then they'll come back. That's the year of high vacancy that we don't really want to target. So these with a lot of construction we're trying away from. We've really found in the Northeast and the Midwest, where not a lot of people migrated to over COVID, there's not a lot of new construction. There's a big demand just because of the lack of supply. And those have had getting rent growth, getting their occupancy. What we have problems there is sometimes finding buildings that are structurally sound. Sometimes we'll find a building 100 years old and there's a lot of structural inefficiencies that we don't take the risk for. But in the you know, Midwest and Northeast, there's a lot of space built for growth. 
So as a syndicator, looking at some of these B and C stuff and, and, the, and I operate in the Midwest a fair amount. And so I'm just kind of curious, is there an age cap since you mentioned that you're having some structural challenges with older properties that stands to reason because the Northeast has obviously been around a whole lot longer than say the Pacific Northwest from a, from a density point of view. So uh, is there an age cap? Um, I would say it's deal by deal. One big thing is just the, the outer facade. We invested in, a, in an old deal. They renovated the whole thing, and a year later, bricks were falling off. Oh. That's a big one for us. As well as one thing that is attractive is a property that may have you know, 500 units and it's split up into 15 different buildings. That'll kind of be a hedge against one whole roof falling in, whereas you know one roof will needed to be fixed every six months on the 15 different buildings. So yeah, so really it sounds like big building fifteen. Different. Yeah. So it sounds like you really want to have some variable in your portfolio. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. So tell me, guys, this is kind of an interesting business model. You found this you found this inefficient niche, and I completely respect that because you're right. Institutions won't talk to some of this product size. Is there a population requirement in, in a tertiary market? I'm thinking about like you know, a 50,000 person population versus a 300,000 population basis. Do you guys have a kind of a guiding thumb on that? I would say a lot of that has to do with supply versus population. So if there's 10,000 units in a 50,000 population area, that's obviously not going to work. But we kind of try to have those parallel. If it's a smaller market, there should be less units and vice versa, the bigger ones. So not necessarily a black and white there could be a correlation to the population. One other thing to add, too, is when we're looking at a, a market, a lot of our properties are in secondary and tertiary markets. Um, with, with that in mind, we're looking for varied economic drivers. You're not going to have a robust uh, economy such as New York City and a population of 200,000, but you will have different industries and different uh, employment options for those tenants to create uh, the metro that, that's dependent on various economic factors. So if the, you know, the, the hypothetical single company leaves town, the whole town doesn't go broke. Um, and that's, so that's what we're looking for is just a very balanced economy um, with, with good supply demand indicators for us. Yeah, I'm curious. When I first came into this business, I had a thesis that I wanted to buy 50 unit buildings in college towns and really go after that permanent rotating college student. And it's been that thesis has been tested. And I hear people give me different points of view all the time. What do you guys think about student housing? We do own a couple student housing deals in our in our previous fund and and we like it. You know, one thing to note about student housing is it's hyper local. Um, you know, college students want to be able to walk out of class and walk down the street and be at the at their campus. They don't want to be two miles away and have to take a bus. So, uh, location is is truly truly important with student housing relative to you know more traditional multifamily, where you know a couple miles uh, in in market rate is the equivalent of you know fifty feet in student housing. So, you want to be as close to campus as possible. 
Right. So it's really that really is that one of the drivers why you're going more into affordable workforce housing because the the location's a little less premium. It's actually the the thesis for the workforce housing is that it, you can't make a hundred thousand dollar unit to, from ground up, but you can buy one. And and just the way the market's set up right now is there's huge demand for workforce housing, good quality housing, and they're they're not making any more 1978 built product. Or definitely not. Year. So that's that's the it's it's a, definitely a play of, of unit cost and replacement costs relative to what's available on the market. Yeah, I think the replacement cost is really an important part of this assessment, right? Because you know, right now replacement costs, as you said, they're not making anymore. So, what do you look for? You know, you know, we've got a lot of talk going on right now in this day and age about syndicators going through challenges with the Fed raising the rates so much in the last eighteen months. And I actually was looking at the SOFR curve this morning, and it looks like the Chatham, for example, is forecasting the SOFR curve to start to slow down and, and decrease down into the right, which is kind of a good thing for the for the 10-year. What's your point of view on the forecast for the future 18 months out, say? We really don't have one, and we do that because we go on the idea that you can't predict the market. But what we can control is if we have a property under contract and a business plan in place, we want to make sure that the debt term matches up with the project life. Um, for example, if if we have a 10-year hold, we don't want to put three-year bridge debt on it with the intention of refinancing later into PERM. Uh, that's too much risk from our perspective. However, if we have a three-year project with just kind of get in, renovate and sell, then we're more more likely to take on something like a three or five year uh, loan product. Makes a lot of sense to me. So how are you guys vetting the sponsors that you work with now? Because obviously there, it seems like in some of these real estate clubs you go to, you can swing a dead cat and hit 15 brand new sponsors. So I'm just curious, what's, what's the process? And Joe's kind of ch- crackling over there a little <laughs> bit, the dead cat comment. I mean, you know, let's call a spade a spade and I'm a, I also own a real estate brokerage, so you can swing a dead cat and hit 30 realtors. <laughs> it's so how do you, it's how, true, yeah. How um, do you do this kind of vetting of the sponsors? Yeah, we have a pretty robust uh, due diligence process we go through when we encounter a new uh, operator. You know, we, not to get in too much detail, but broadly speaking, you know, we want to see a track record of some sort in the industry. Um, we obviously do your typical uh, background checks. You know everything that's due with, you know, uh, criminal and all of that that stuff to make sure that we're, you know, the, the most important part is we want to work with good people, um, and we want to do that systematically, ideally, you know. So we find a good operator who really knows their stuff, is a good person, you know. We want to rinse and repeat that, uh, you know, in 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 other investments if we can show that they're, uh, you know, have have good background and and can execute on the business plan. We want to. We want to keep doing business with them. So it sounds like you're you're betting on the jockey more than the horse. Yeah. Jockey more than the horse, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so if you guys didn't hear that, he Preston was having a little bit of a challenge with some audio in there. And what he was basically saying was they had an operator that had some challenges, but he was boots on the ground. He brought in a really good team and they were able to turn around what could have been otherwise a untoward situation. Is that a good way to put it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, guys, what's the way that I start to get into your ecosystem and start to learn? what I need to do if I'm looking to scale for someone like myself, who's got a GP in multiple deals and he's got a little bit of, of knowledge, but he knows there's a cap because I can't do, but X, Y, and Z. What's the process for someone like myself? It really starts with the deal, find a good deal, send it our way. Let us take a look at it. Um, you know, is I know you mentioned vetting operators and diving into them, you know, the first thing we say when we talk with someone is, hey, we want to hear your story and where you come from. But the second point is, do you have any opportunities in hand? And we have no problem waiting. You know, if, if you don't have a deal today, that's great. We can resume this conversation at three, six, nine, 12 months later. Um, but find a deal, send it to us and and let us take a look at it. Um, from that point, you know, we can we can continue the conversation. And uh, if if that deal doesn't work out, that's fine. Keep us in mind for the next one. Awesome. So really, it really does. The dialogue starts with so many different things from here's a transaction. Let's have a dialogue around that. So, yep. so tell me, uh, you guys are, you know, Joe's based out of, out of, uh, Boulder and, and Mark's in Chicago and Preston's in Chicago. And so tell me, what do you guys do for fun? Just out of curiosity. I'll start by that. I'm actually, uh, I'm based in Chicago. I spend a lot of time in Boulder oh, primarily right. because the mountain scene is so fantastic. And I just, I love hiking. So get out in the mountains and get some fresh air. Fun fact. I used to be a backpacking guide many years ago. So I can in, here uh, in Colorado. Yeah. Well in New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mark, what about yourself, sir? I got, I got three kids. So I'm, I'm, I'm hands on right now. <laughs> so there's no fun in fatherhood. <laughs> well, there is, but you know, I'm not bite backpacking through the Andes or anything like that. Yeah, that's unfortunate, man. <laughs> Preston, did I hear that you played baseball in college? Yeah, so I'm a former D1 college baseball player at USC, and also new to Chicago. So I found a game called 16 and softball that I really enjoyed playing. <laughs> That's outstanding. I used to live in Chicago when I was fresh out of college, and I discovered a game in Chicago called, um, gosh, I forgot it. it. It was at Sluggers, which I think is still there next to the Cubby Bear. And I think it was called netball and there was a trampoline with four quadrants in it and four basketball hoops and a dodgeball. And you never got in that thing sober. And it was quite the experience. Slugger, slugger is still there. Yep. yep. Yeah. I used to live right behind that alley and boy, I'm glad I don't live there anymore because my liver could not take it. <laughs> so, so guys tell me, um, as you think back on your careers, and you know we've got people that are in all different stages of careers, and so I always like to ask this question: What do you know now that you wish you had known a decade ago? 
one thing that we we say around the office a lot here is uh is staying still is going backwards uh in other words you got to keep looking for the next the next opportunity and keep moving forward because uh, as soon as you stop everybody else will pass you yeah that's so very true right if there's no forward momentum then you're going backward couldn't agree with that more uh anybody have anything they want to add to that one I'll comment that I wish I uh, I had more law experience under the belt because it would have saved a lot of money in a lot of what I'm doing here in the real estate world. Yeah, you know, a good lawyer is invaluable, right? I actually was on a conference call yesterday with an attorney, and I was thinking I need to find a different one that's got this guy's gumption. And uh, there's so much to be learned from that one. Just curious, um, is there a piece of advice that, you did follow for our listeners that you wish you had not followed or something that you said, you know, looking back on it now, eh, that was a bad move. Don't waste your energy experimenting with that one. I guess one thing that, that we've learned and is that you can't make an assumption based on someone or something based on someone else's knowledge. So in other words, go out, talk to as many people as you can. Cause one thing that we found is that the that next opportunity might be the not the first person you talk to, but the person they introduce you to. So you're by talking talking with someone else, you're not only accessing their network, you're also accessing the network of everyone outside of their circle. So you know, just just uh, keep an open mind and keep the conversation flowing. Man, Mark, that's such a powerful th- comment. You know, that goes back to the Kevin Bacon and the seven degrees of separation, right? You never quite know who you're going to run into. Uh, here's a little funny aside. I am two degrees of separation from the King of England right now. My son wow. goes to school in Scotland with his niece. So that's pretty neat. You guys are now three degrees from the King of England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> I want $10, please, in royalty. <laughs> But anyway, you know, what you're saying there is that you you don't make the assumption yourself from somebody else's knowledge. Does that mean that you then go out and also re-verify and keep asking questions? Is that part of the process? Is that what I take away from that? Yeah, just keep just keep digging in questions, looking, you know, keep overturning rocks until you find the answer you're looking for. I love that. Uh, so is is there any other piece of advice that you followed that you wish you had never followed or something else that moves you guys that says, oh, I don't want to ever do that again? You know, if you're Steve Bartman, you're going to say you never want to go sit in the front <laughs> of the Cubs game again, right? So I tend to just uh, – this is sort of a cop-out answer, but I tend not to dwell on um, – you know, you learn from the mistakes you make, but you can't dwell on them. You have to move forward, learn from them, and and keep going. You know, yeah. that applies pretty much to everything. So, I, and I don't know if I could say there's a piece of advice. I've I've everyone's made mistakes, and you just have to learn from them and move on. It makes me think about you don't get anywhere in your car looking at the rearview mirror, <laughs> right? So is, is there, and speaking of this, we're winding down now. Is there a uh, axiom or a quote or something that you'd like to share with our listeners that really does s- solidify what CTC is about or what keeps you guys moving forward? I kind of mentioned it. I'll, I'll just throw mine out there. It's not really a quote, but it's really surround yourself with good people. Yeah. And that's it. CTC culture is very important. 
uh, in general. And I think that that's the, uh, you know, it's something that we follow for sure. Great advice. And so if the listeners want to get a hold of you guys, what's the best way to track everybody down at CTC? Sure. So you can call us uh, 312-863-8079. You can also email us at capitalmanagement at chicagotrading.com. Or you can go to our website, ctccapitalmanagement.com. Any of those will respond within a day or two, and, and we look forward to hearing from you. Great. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Joe, for joining us today. And you've been listening to another episode of Breaker Golden Handcuffs. Thank you.